the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, this is Rick Probst of Faith Talk Live and Faith Talk Atlanta. And this year's Pastors Appreciation event was off the chain. The keynote speaker this year was Pastor Brian Chapel, the senior pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. At the end of Pastor Brian's message in just a second, I'll give you details about next year's Pastors Appreciation event. We'll go over the keynote speaker and information on our Women in Ministry event coming up in the spring of 2020. Now by popular demand, here is Pastor Brian Chapel from the 2019 Pastors Appreciation event. Hope you enjoy. First, my thanks to Salem, who's given great opportunities for me and the ministry that I represent. And uh, we're, with the Lord's blessing, and Salem getting us started actually in 80 nations now, which astounds me that the Lord has provided such uh, opportunity for the gospel because I was such a miserable failure in the gospel in my early years. So when I come to Faith Talk Atlanta, I, I told Alan earlier, so much of what I have done in the rest of my career is saying to people, please don't do what I did when I started in ministry. And, uh, and that may sound like a strange passion, don't do what I did, but it's because the Lord rescued me. And, and that's what I want to talk about. How does the Lord rescue people with the gospel? And sometimes preachers need to hear that as well as the people to whom we minister. When I uh, began in ministry, having graduated from Bible college, I had a wonderful privilege. And the privilege was, as a young man, I was asked to take, in our circles, the oldest and the largest church in our region as the senior pastor. And how do I say this to you? Young man, historic, large church, I thought I was hot stuff. I mean, look at me. And I must tell you, I soon discovered that I had no idea how hard it was going to be. And it wasn't just because I was not ready for such a pastorate. It's because of what was happening in our region. So that was southern Illinois, and the main industries there are agriculture and mining. And within only about six months of my arrival at that historic church, the Environmental Protection Agency changed the rules for coal that could be sold and used in the United States, which meant that southern Illinois soft, high-sulfur coal could not be used in the United States anymore. And the consequence is, with, within months, in the six counties surrounding our church, there were literally tens of thousands of people out of work. There was a government safety net in some measure, but, but you're pastoral leaders, and you already know where I'm going. If jobs and income are falling rapidly, 
tell me what dynamics are rising just as rapidly in people's homes. Jobs and incomes go down. What goes up inside people's homes? What begins to be the stressors? What happens? Conflict, abuse, adultery, alcohol, other addictions. I mean, people will medicate any way they can. And depression everywhere. I mean, not just outside the church, in the church. Depression like a blanket over the whole community. Now, because I've been to Bible college, I knew exactly what to do. I thought I knew what to do. I would open up my Bible every Sunday and I would say these very pastoral words to people who were struggling this way. I would, I would look at them and I would say, stop it. Now just stop it. It says right here in the Bible, you shall not be drunk on much wine. If you're struggling with alcohol, you just stop it. And if you and your wife are not getting along, it says right here in the Bible, you must love your wife as Christ loves the church. You may not hit her. Stop it. Because the Bible says. And if you're depressed, well, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Just stop it. I said stop it so often. I could not stand me anymore. And as Alan told you, my wife and I really made the call to her parents to say, we may be coming to live with you. Because I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, but it is not this. I said to Kathy, I didn't, I didn't go to seminary to learn to hurt people. But I stand in the pulpit every Sunday and I hurt people and I can't do this anymore. Now, it was at that low period as we were actually making plans to transition out of ministry that the Lord, I can't even tell you now how it happened, brought into my experience uh, a book by a man named Sidney Gradanus who was talking about a controversy in the Dutch church a hundred years before. You think, oh, well, how is this going to be helpful? Here was the controversy. How do we preach the heroes of the Bible? And think about that. We preach those sermons. You should be like David. He, he beat up the lion and the bear, and he went up against Goliath, and Goliath says to him, am I a dog that you come against me with a sling. And David said, you come with sword, javelin, and spear. I come in the name of the Lord. And if you just have enough faith, you can beat up the Goliaths in your life. You should be like David. Well, except for that chapter about Bathsheba. <laughs> and how he murdered her husband to have her. And then he raised bad kids. And then at the end of his life, the man who had walked with God numbered his troops, claiming the credit for the glory was his rather than God's. 
Well, maybe you shouldn't be like David. What Syndergradonis did is he went through all the heroes of the Bible and came up with a very simple conclusion. There is only one hero. Who is that? That is, and everybody else needs him. If you will look in detail at the lives of all the heroes, there is something that requires a redeemer because God is making a message known. You are not your redeemer. God must provide what you cannot provide for yourself. And if, if you will look carefully at the stories, you will see every single person is messed up in, in awful ways. And and they require something beyond themselves, someone beyond themselves to rescue them. Now, as obvious as that may be to me now, it was revolutionary then. Because what it enabled me to do is talk to people who were struggling with addictions and abusive relationships, alcohol, depression, to say, listen, people, if God could use people as messed up as those in the Bible... Maybe there's some hope for you. Maybe God can still rescue you. And by the way, it wasn't just my people to whom I was preaching. Who else needed to know that God could rescue messed up people? Who else needed to know that? I wasn't even out of my 20s. And I believed I was a failure. And I was leaving the ministry. And the Lord, by a sweet man that I met later in life, began to teach me, there is another message than do better. There is a message of one who said, when the kindness and mercy of Christ our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous deeds that we have done, but according to his mercy. And that message is not just for the beginning of our Christian walk. It is for every day of our Christian walk. As as Christ himself is making known the message that is flowing through all the scriptures. You you remember after the resurrection, as he is walking on that road to Emmaus, for some reason his disciples do not recognize who he is. But Luke tells us the conversation, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He revealed what was said in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, that's an amazing thought, that, that all the scriptures are disclosing Christ. Now, I'm not saying that every chapter, every verse mentions Jesus. We're not going to take out a decoder ring or some magic wand and make Jesus appear behind that bush or in that camel track. Not the point. But what, what the scriptures are revealing is, you are not your redeemer. Everybody... If, if you look at them in the measure that the Bible intends is teaching us, you're not the solution. And, and if you don't know that, you'll get the message wrong. I mean, I, I just think of it as the, as the Bible unfolds. You get, you get to that period of the judges, and a man is introduced named Samson. And you know the story. When, when Samson had long hair, He was strong. And when he had short hair, he was weak. Therefore, you should have...
Now, that's going to be a bigger challenge for some of you than others. You know that's wrong. Why is it wrong? What, what are we being taught by Samson? This, this was the period of the judges when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. How'd that work out for them? That don't work. That don't fix things. And it does not matter how strong you are. And it does not matter how clever you are. Unless God works, you cannot be saved. You are not your Redeemer. And that message is unfolding, unfolding, unfolding through all the Scriptures as God is saying, here is the human dilemma. And, and here are all the dimensions of the human dilemma. And if you can't fix that any more than a man with dirty hands can clean his shirt white, God's got to do something in your behalf. Tim Keller says, God is coming to the rescue. That is the subtext of every text. God is coming to the rescue. And we are being revealed all the dimensions of human fallenness and inability and need so that we're pointing, pointing, pointing. There's got to be another answer. And, and I didn't just make that up. I mean, that's what the scriptures themselves are saying from the very beginning. Do you remember, I mean, we think of John 3.16, and I hope you saw the wonderful courtroom testimony this week when the judge gave to Amber Geiger her own Bible and said, read John 3.16. There is another same verse. It is Genesis 3.15. Do you remember? Right, right at the beginning of the Bible, when, when man so horribly falls. God speaks to the tempter and says to Satan, I am going to put enmity, antagonism between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to strike his heel. You're going to wound him, but he is going to crush your head. And from that moment, it is game on because the rest of the Scriptures are Satan trying to stop the Redeemer and the Redeemer saying, I will redeem my people. I am coming. They are not the answer. I am the answer. And as he is making that clear, if we will read it that way, we see that all the scriptures are saying, God has to rescue. God has to rescue. This is not just a a, a compendium of, of legalistic commands and moral tales. Everything is saying, do you understand who God is? He is holy. Do you understand who you are? You're not. (laughs) God must provide a rescue. Now, I'm going to speak starkly for a few minutes here because I want you to hear how that understanding of the redemptive message of the coming Savior that rose throughout all Scripture that we either live in anticipation of or as a result of His provision must change our preaching so we don't get the message wrong. I mean, just a simple answer would be to say, can we simply have a message that says, you just need to be like somebody in the Bible. Just be like them. You know, well, now you know you can't say David. But Abraham, 
Now, there's a man of faith, right? He went to the land he did not know, obeying the call of God. And on that journey, he only gave away his wife twice to other men. (laughs) And then because he did not have patience for the Lord's promise, he slept with his wife's maid. And then, of all things, when his wife got upset about that, he took Hagar and his own biological son and he put them in the desert to die of exposure. Well, maybe you shouldn't be like Abraham either. Now, I will grant you, if, if, if you really look in your Bibles, there, there are some people that you say, well, you know, it doesn't say bad stuff about that person. I mean, you know, Enoch in the Old Testament. Remember how Enoch, he walked with God and... He was no more. And you just can't get much dirt in there. I mean, that's just, that's, just all, that's just all it says. And Caleb, Jonathan. But now think biblically. If here are men walking in godly ways, who enabled that? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It's God's work. Who's the hero of the text? It's not the human figure. Ultimately, God is the hero of every text. And and for us just to say to people, listen, you, you need to improve your doctrine or you need to improve your performance. If all we are preaching on a given Sunday is you need to be like someone so that so that you are more competent or you are more able to perform, if all our messages improve your competence or improve your performance, is that the entire message, who is your Redeemer? You are. It's just you. You just do better than those people down the street. And God love you for that. You know, if we ever begin to think that way, we are in deep trouble. The Christianity of comparison. God said, I'm holy so you be There's only one to compare to. And the way in which we are able to be holy is by his mercy. The alien righteousness of Christ applied to us. We put on his robes of righteousness. The great transition has occurred where God put my sin on him and his righteousness on me. And and that is my only hope. And if all I'm saying is be like We will lead people to despair. I mean, you really want to hurt people. Say, be like Jesus. Piece of cake. Just go ahead. Be like Jesus. Now, I will grant you, there there are examples in the Bible from which we learn good behavior. No question. I mean, did the Apostle Paul ever say, be like me, follow my example? Did Paul ever say that? At least five times. Now finish the verse. Follow my example as there is a redemptive context. We are not dependent on humanity alone, not my efforts, not my wisdom. No, the Bible is pointing me to another. And the reason is because sometimes the only message that we want to preach is the one I was preaching early in my ministry. And we're just telling people, you just be good. Just be good. And say, what could be wrong with that? I mean, you surely don't want to preach the opposite, right? Just, just, just be bad. Just... 
No. It is necessary to tell people to be good. It is not sufficient. Why? Do you know Isaiah 64? All our righteous deeds are as? Here, God, here's some filthy rags. Happy? Oh, how about some more filthy rags? Happy? God is not going to be satisfied by our filthy rags. You really want to scare Christians in the church? Read Luke 17, 10. Jesus saying, when you have done all that you should do, you are still what kind of servant? Unworthy servant. Wait, 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 wait. I did all that I should do. Jesus is saying, your place at the table is not determined by what you do. It is determined by the mercy of the master. If all we are saying to people is, you just be good, there are only two possible human responses to that message. If my entire message is, you be good. One response is that of the rich young ruler. Do you remember? Drives up to Jesus in his Lexus one day, and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you hear the landmine in the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you just kind of read across the surface of the text, you'll think, my, Jesus should have stayed in Bible college longer because his answer to that question is, you know the commandments. Actually, he says something just before that. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments. And what does the young man say? All these I've kept since I was a boy. Now listen, Jesus just said, only God is good. And what does the young man say about himself three seconds later? Me too! (laughs) In which case he gives himself the status of God. Clearly breaking the first and to a Jew the most important of the commandments, you shall have no other gods. But because he is basing his acceptance before God on his adequate behavior, he is actually working contrary to Christ. And Jesus is making that known. Which means, I hate to say it, folks, if all we do is say in our entire message, you just be good, you just be good, you just... Well, you know, I'll get to the evangelistic sermon in about six weeks. You know, that's where it is on the calendar. And I'll tell them about Jesus then. I will tell you something. You preach grace and people hear law. It is their instinct to think, i got to make it up to God. Now, there is another response from pride if all you tell people is be good. What's the other response? Not got it checked off, got it done. What's the other possible human response? You just be as good as Jesus. What's the other response? I can't do that. I, I got no hope. I, I, I can't do that. I am not saying a be good message is wrong in itself. By itself, it is spiritually deadly. It only creates pride or despair. There is no alternative. Pride or despair if that's the entire message. Therefore, it's actually deadly to faith. Now, it's necessary. It is not sufficient. Just say be good. The the last of the messages that 
come to us so readily and, and yet actually undermine the gospel are messages that tell people, you just need to be more disciplined. You know, you, you just need to pray more. You know, just go to a darker closet. Just You just need to read your Bible more. Yeah, I know you've read some, maybe it's 20 minutes, but maybe it needs to be 30 minutes or an hour, three hours. You know, just, just read your Bible more. And you need to go to church more. Especially you need to go to my church more. <laughs> What's wrong with the more message? It's a bottomless pit. God's holiness is higher than the heavens. If all that you are going to do is just people, you can make it up to God. You know, Rush Dooney in that kind of famous book, The Messianic Character of American Education, just has this wonderful little appendix. It's got a terrible name. The Menace of the Sunday School. I don't know that I'd want to talk that way in my church, but the menace. You know what the menace of the Sunday School? He says, here's what happens. A very well-intended, sweet-sounding teacher speaks to a child and says, Oh, Sally, if you're just a good little girl, Jesus will love you. It sounds sweet. It is spiritual poison. Jesus will not love Sally because she's a good little girl. Jesus will love Sally as she calls out for his mercy, for the forgiveness of her sin. That is the blessing of the gospel. We don't make it. Every other religion in the world, we would say, has humanity trying to work up the ladder to God or some state of higher consciousness. We would say Christianity alone says we don't build the ladder up to God. What does God do? He extends the ladder to us. And it's that uniqueness that we have to remember when when the Apostle Paul said, I resolve to say nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we say, well, that's not true, Paul. You talked about marriage relationships and worship relationships and generosity and the nature of the church. But in Paul's mind, there was a hub to that wheel and all the spokes came off. He made you right with himself. You are not your Redeemer. And having been made right by faith, you live in response. Yes, we are good. Yes, yes, we do those things that please God. But, but we have to understand what that means. It means our works do not qualify us for our salvation. They, they, they ultimately are a thanksgiving gift to God for the salvation that we could not earn, do not deserve, and yet he provided my faith is in him. It's, it's, it's not in my performance. It's about him. It's not about me. And so I have to make sure that the messages that I preach are, are saying, here's what God requires of you. You've got to know that. But you have to know first what he did for you. And that's the gospel message unfolding that we have to make sure we're not just berating people. Let me tell you, many, many people think that it is the job of the preacher to hit them about the head with the Bible and get them to do better. And sometimes we think that. Listen, our job is surely to warn people of the consequences of sin and to tell them the path of righteousness, but only as a response to the God who has redeemed. You are not 
your Redeemer. And without that context, we will say what really does not help people, even despite our good intent. Just a couple more thoughts here. What actually will change people, will help them in our ministries? It's really saying, what is your understanding of gospel power? What transforms people? Not just what changes their behavior for a little bit as long as they feel guilty or get a little more money, you know. Not just changing their... What changes the heart for eternity? So people are living in gratitude and the joy of the Lord is their strength. What, what, what does that? That I'm living with gospel power. What enables people to do what God requires? Now, this may sound a strange place to start. One, it, it's, it's just plain knowledge. I mean... I mean They have to know who God is and what he requires. I mean, I can't say to you, you need to obey God. Oh, great, pastor. How do I do that? Well, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) No, pastor, really, how do I do that? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Now, I will tell you, that will not work. You cannot honor God if you do not know what he requires. That, That he says in his word, Here's the righteous path that reflects my character and my heart. Here's what's good for you. Here's the good and safe path. And, and you need to know what is the good and safe path. So we, we tell people, you need to know duty and you need to know doctrine. It's necessary. It is not sufficient. What's the power for living that way? What, what enables me to do what I know to do? Well, it's not just knowing what God requires of you. It's going to sound silly. You need to know who you are. You are irrevocably, irretrievably human. What what does that mean? There's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. Now, I will tell you, there have been times in my life when I've had some personal struggle that I'm encouraged by that verse because misery loves company. So I... I think, oh, well, you know, I'm struck. But, but somebody out there is also experiencing this because there's no temptation to. The problem is that's not what that verse means. There's no temptation taking you but such as is common, which means there is nothing out there, nothing out there, the seeds of which are not already in here. After all, what does James tell us? If you've broken one command, how many of you actually broke it? There's nothing out there. The seeds of which are not already in here. You are not your Redeemer. If that is the case, I need to know not only am I vulnerable to sin, but we're pastors. We, we know people are helped by practical advice, and we're right to give it. And, and, and so some of us, you, you've been in the situations I have, we will say to a person in the church, we will say, now you listen to me. When you get off work today, don't you dare take that road home. If you take that road home, you're going to stop by that place or that person and you're going to be in trouble. So you take another way home. Now, you just paraphrase Proverbs 4. Do not put your foot on the path of the wicked. Do not go near the path of the wicked. Instead, turn and go the other direction. That's just practical advice. And because we are human, we, we just, as vulnerable as we are to sin can be helped by practical advice. If you don't know you're vulnerable, you're in far greater danger than you ever imagined. If you don't give people practical advice to help them, 
you are not pastoring as you should. Both these aspects of knowledge are necessary but not sufficient. You don't just need to know that you are human. If you are redeemed, who are you? You are loved by the Father, indwelt by the Spirit, and united to Christ. Did you get that? Loved by the Father, united to the Spirit. Loved by the Father, indwelt by the Spirit, united to Christ. When Paul the Apostle summarizes all of that in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, in Christ you are a new creation. Now listen, even in the church, when you tell people, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, they'll go, that's wonderful. Still looks like me. Still sounds like me. Still weighs about the same. Uh, how, how, How am I a new creation? How have you been made new? So, Alan said, theology professor, so a little bit of theology. What was your nature before you were united to Christ? The old, old, old distinction of the church is you were not able not to sin. That's your old nature. You were not able not to sin. I'm not saying you murdered somebody every day. I am saying nothing you did was for the glory of God. Nothing. You were not able not to sin prior to you. Who are you now? What is your new nature? You have been made able not to sin. Now, I am not talking about perfectionism. I am talking about what the Holy Spirit reveals to us by His Word, by the ministry of pastors, by God's work in our life. What He reveals to us, He has given us power to overcome Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives where? In me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How did he give himself for me? He died. But he is alive. And he lives where? In me. The resurrection power that brought Jesus from the dead resides in me. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You you can be changed. There is hope for you. Tomorrow can be different than yesterday. That is the gospel. We don't tell people they're hopeless. We say there is new life. Because if you do not believe you can have victory, you have already lost the battle. And God is saying, you can have victory. God can enter. Satan will sit right there on your shoulder and he will say, you can't be helped. You can't be fixed. You've struggled with this for years. There is no way out. You're doomed. You are a hopeless, helpless creature. And we need to say, that is a lie. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. He has given me power. He has given me ability. I must believe it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe it. And Paul summarizes it for us all in Romans 6, verses 6 and 14. You are no longer a slave. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You're not a slave to sin. You have been made new. 
the resurrection power of Jesus Christ abides in you by his Holy Spirit and gives you victory by his means. When we know that, we say, I have hope again. And when we say it to our people, they say, I have hope again. I, I know the messes I've made. I know the sin in my life. I know the weakness. I, I know all this. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I am not a slave to Satan anymore. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not just praying and reading my Bible and going to church to, to bribe God to be nice to me. Well, lots of our people are doing that. I'll, I'll, I'll pay off God so he'll be nice to me. What if I didn't view it as a bribe, but bread? God is telling me I can commune with the creator of the universe in prayer. I I can read the scriptures as as the king of all things who gave his son in love for me. He's saying, here's a good and safe path. Let me tell you about it. And, And then I get to fellowship with God's people who are not only helping me, but God has made me a co laborer with Christ so I can help them too. I mean... This is feasting on the grace and the goodness of God so that ultimately I'm strengthened over and over and over again with the love of God in Christ so that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm I'm not strengthened by guilt that oppresses me, by prosperity that is never what's going to be what they say it will be. It's, It's not the things of the world that give me hope. It is Christ who gives me hope. And when I am fed daily with the measure of his heart and grace, I'm growing, growing, growing in my love for him, which is displacing my love for the world. It's, it's a beautiful job we've been given. I mean, I, I, I think of it just, just in terms of my youngest daughter. So my family's in, in two halves. So we have the, the three big kids. And as they were getting into their teens, uh, we had our Mac baby. Do you know what a Mac baby is? middle-aged crazy. Um, and as she was getting into her teens, I would, I would say to my wife, Kathy, you know, I just can't keep up with this girl. I'm getting old. And, and I can't keep up with her. And my wife, wise wife, she would say, you know, the way we poured ourselves into the big kids, we've got to keep pouring ourselves into Katie. And, and what I did, because my job has always involved a great deal of travel, is as early as Katie would have to get up for all those high school activities, I would get up before her and I would fix her breakfast. Now, it was just cereal, but I called it breakfast. And, and I would think, all right, what's my job as the father of this young Christian woman? And even as I'm filling up her cereal bowl with milk, I'm thinking my job is to fill up her heart with love for Christ. Why? Because you and I know there are trials and there are temptations ahead for her. But if her heart is full of love for Christ, she cannot be more safe or more strong. And that's not just true of my child. That is true of every child of God. If their hearts are full of love for Christ, they cannot be more safe or more strong. And the beauty of our jobs, the wonderful task that we have, is filling people up week by week by week with an understanding of how great is the love of God in Christ for you. So that when we tell them what God requires of them, they say, I want to walk with him. I want to follow this path of one who loves me so. It's 
him who redeemed me. Now I want to live for him. And, and when they begin to live that way, it changes us. There was a time in my life, I believe the job of a pastor was to get people to do what they don't want to do. Do you mind my telling you that is a horrible job? I don't believe that's my job anymore. I believe my job is to fill up people with love for the Savior that is changing their want to. So they want to walk with him and it is the joy that is the strength of their hearts. We have a wonderful job. It is to tell people of the goodness and mercy of the God who redeems people who cannot redeem themselves. It is, it is a beautiful, wonderful job and I commend it to you. Speak of him and watch him change people with the glory of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Outstanding message from Pastor Brian Chapel, the keynote speaker of the 2019 Pastors Appreciation Event. Pastor Brian Chapel is the lead pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. Now let's look ahead. Coming up in the spring of 2020, it's the annual Women in Ministry that event for ladies and the keynote speaker is going to be Colleen Swindoll Thompson, the daughter of Chuck Swindoll. You hear Insight for Living every day here at Faith Talk Atlanta. Then next fall, it's the Pastor's Appreciation Event. The Pastor's Appreciation Event 2020. Keynote speaker next year, Pastor Steve Brown, the host of Key Life. You, of course, hear Key Life right here at Faith Talk Atlanta. More details coming soon, so keep checking Faith Talk Atlanta, and we'll give you more details and your opportunity to get tickets. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.